Welcome to episode 24 of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League, presented by ChangeUp. I'm Matt Satilli. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Owen Shadrick. Good to see you. How are you doing, Owen? I'm doing great, Matt. I can't believe it's already the last week of the season. This is crazy that we got this far, but it's been great, and I expect this week to be amazing. It surely will be, and we have big news as our 2020 Futures League Championship Series has been set. It will be the Worcester Bravehearts taking on the Nashua Silver Knights. Each one of those teams have four championships. Worcester is going to their seventh consecutive title series. It's going to be an awesome matchup. Worcester defeated Nashua on Thursday night, 3-1. to one. Tyler Patain had two RBIs. And Cole Chidoba, who set the single-game record for strikeouts in the Futures League earlier this season, took home the win. So Worcester fresh off their matchup against the Silver Knights, but it's going to be an awesome series. So once again, congratulations to those two teams for clinching their spot in the championship series, which will take place next weekend. Details on dates and times to come soon. Owen. What have you seen about Nashua, the team that Worcester is going to be taking on over the last few days? So I just saw Nashua defeat Brockton 8-3 to to officially clinch their spot. Nick Garino, who's been amazing these last couple weeks, continued his dominant season. Kyle Bouchard, the new guy, getting a home run and two RBIs for Nashua. And of course, Saturday, we had our third and final Nesson game. Shout out once again to the Nesson crew. Unbelievable job, unbelievable game. And it was just a great experience to be there. It really was. And it was an awesome game. It came down to the last out. There was a fly ball hit to the warning track that was ultimately caught. North Shore sealed the win four to three. And Emma Carmen, our guest on today's podcast, was part of that broadcast crew. I had a really awesome time working with her for three games. And she was happy that her team won. So we were each covering one of the teams. She was complaining that her teams were 0-2. But she got a win. Her North Shore Navigators came out on top. And on that note, she was an awesome guest. It was really great to hear about what she's done for North Shore, her experience with Nesson, and at Quinnipiac as she looks to enter her professional career in the job force. So without further ado, here's our interview with Emma Carmen. At this time, we now welcome on a very special guest. She is the director of digital media and the team reporter for the North Shore Navigators. For the last three summers, she has worked in the confines of Fraser Field, it is Emma Carmen. Emma, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm doing good. So Emma, let's get right into it. You serve as the reporter for NABS TV and you've been with the team for the last three seasons. What has that experience been like for you? So it's been an awesome experience. Um, every day is a new adventure with the Navigators and every year has been a little bit different for me. It started out as an internship for me going into my junior year at Quinnipiac. Um, I reached out to the team, emailed Joe Gill, who was in charge of all of press box communication stuff. So I started out as an intern there. I just kind of wanted to get my foot in the door within baseball. It's always been a passion of mine. Um, so they gave me some great opportunities. I had a lot of leeway there. And then last year, I kind of was already in the swing of things, um, had a year under my belt. And then this year has been completely different. Me and Josh Cummins, who was on the podcast earlier, he is like my sidekick here when it comes to the press box. We've done a lot of stuff together. And every single year, I've been able to do more stuff for the team, whether it's on social media or behind the scenes stuff. But it's been an overall amazing experience, and I wouldn't change it for anything. And you mentioned Josh. He's not the only one of the lovely crew that you guys have at the Fraser Field press box. Talk about your crew that sits in the press box, guys like Brian on sound, DJ on point streak, and Eric and Sydney running the broadcast. And of course, Gus 
the uh, public address announcer. Talk about that crew. Yeah, so it's been great. We've been blessed to have the same crew for now three years, a little bit of a different um, transition with music stuff just because we've had a couple of players do it in the past who got hurt. But it's nice to have a main core that we've been able to work off of, especially because Gus came around back when I did for my first summer. So that was nice to have each other. And we always bounce off each other's energy, whether it's starting in the press box and every time before the game, before we look at each other, we say like good vibes only. Just keeping the positivity throughout the entire game, whether things go wrong, whether there's rain delays and having each other to bounce off of is great. We've had Eric. Um, he's done a couple roles. He's now play-by-play play this year, but last year he did a little bit with scoreboard. He's done music. so And it's very nice that everyone's versatile. So say one person can make the game, I'll cover music. Or if Sydney's not there, I can do the broadcast graphics. Gus has pretty much been at every game, I swear. Um, today's actually his last day for us, um, as we have a doubleheader later on against Westfield. But you know, it's nice to have each other and just bounce off of each other's energy. Um, and it's nice to have a big core. I think it's been a little different without Joe Gill there this year. But other than that, it's been very exciting and we are excited to have each other there. Yeah, Gus has been an avid listener of the podcast, so we wanted to shout him out for continuing to listen. And I'm sure he'll be right in tune with this one as well. Of course. <laughs> And you mentioned it a little bit with the good vibes only, but you guys have a lot of superstitions and routines in the press box. Can you tell the listeners about those? Yeah, so they started um, way before I was involved with the press box, and they've always done the rituals of 222 and 321. Um, I kind of added a little one last year, but so when there's for 222, it's two balls, two strikes, two outs. And so we all put our two fingers up, we rub the brim of our fake hats or real hats for the men in the press box. And then right when the pitcher goes to set, we start rubbing. And then when they go to throw, we say flip as we flip off our cap. And everyone does it in the press box. And this year, you can kind of see it and hear it a little bit more because we don't have fans. So all the players will <laughs> look up to us and be like, what are they doing? Um, but it's something we've always done. And then three, two, one is when there's three balls, two strikes, one out. And we all sit there like this. And then we go three, two, one, and we clap. And then we like rope the fire. So it's been fun. Um, one, one, one was something we added on last year. We had a great team last year, super rowdy. They love to be there every day. So whenever it was one ball, one strike, one out, we would do like little pistols. We'd take out our little pew, pew, pew. And we like to win the pitcher. It's all about stuff with the pitcher um, when he sets to throws. And it's just things we've always done, little things, you know, it makes it fun, exciting. And honestly, I feel like it makes everyone pay attention a little bit more um, to the game, whether they're doing scoreboard or graphics or everything. But it's been super fun, and I love all the superstitions. <laughs> Which one of those do you think has the highest success rate? Oh, I would have to say probably 3-2-1, honestly. For some reason, I think the clap gets into the head of everyone on the field, whether it's the batter or the pitcher, so they can hear everything now. <laughs> Something for you guys to look at if you're tuning in on blue frame for the Navs for that three, two, one count. <laughs> Love to hear it. So walk us through a typical game day for you. You were interviewing the players after the game. You're also super involved with operating social media and some of the ins and outs logistics wise. What has your role looked like this year compared to maybe two years ago and talk about that transformation and just what goes into an average game day for you? Yeah, so I get there pretty early. Um, definitely not as early as Josh. Um, he's always beats me with the press box, so he has the key to the press box. I have one too, just in case if he's ever sick, but 
don't think that he has missed a game. So, <laughs> so I'll get there usually three hours before game time. Um, kind of depends. My first year, definitely not as early. Um, I would show up usually two hours before and I would do more like rigorous notes when it came to the game my first year. Cause I knew the sport. Um, my brother played baseball in college and I have other brothers too that they didn't play baseball, but we've all kind of been around the game. So I knew it was always going on, but I didn't know how in-depth my questions were going to have to be. So I always over-prepared for everything. So every inning, I would write a couple notes down what happened, the key plays, whatever, um, so that I could come up with a couple players in my head that would be good for a post-game interview. My second year, I did the same exact thing, not as much as rigorous notes. Um, this year, I don't even think I just watch the game and I go off of what happens. Um, but I will always look at the most important plays, key players, or say it's their last day. Like I know a couple weeks ago, Alex Brickman, he goes to the University of Dayton. He left, so I did an interview with him because he was a three-time navigator. He's been in the FCBL for four years. So anything key like that. I've also kind of branched out rather just in doing post-game interviews. I've done packages where like last year, obviously, we had fans. So we I did like a kid's day package. Um, just a lot of stuff for my reel as I try to, you know, step into this crazy industry of broadcasting, um, I just always want to get my foot in the door. So I keep trying new things. When I get to the field, I usually drop everything down in the press box, which is new this year is that I look at all the blue frame stuff, um, which has been an awesome experience for the league. I think it's a great addition. And I think it's so nice to watch on a platform, everything's so smooth and that every, no matter which team you're watching, whether it's us, Brockton, Westfield, everyone has the same kind of platform. Obviously some teams are a little bit more high tech than others, but so I get there, I set up the computer for blue frame, make sure the camera's all set up. I turn on all the audio, get the boys playlist ready for them for BP. And then when I get everything there this year, I'm taking temperatures right when they all get to the field home and away team, just to make sure that there's no problems with anything with COVID. Um, so I'm usually done that. If it's a six o'clock game around four 30, I come back up, make sure everything's set up. Everyone has everything ready for the press box. Everyone's there by five o'clock, five fifteen latest. Just so if we have any bumps that we can figure them all out and don't have to worry about it when it comes to game time. And then I kind of just hanging out during the game, helping Sydney with broadcast graphics, whether it's lower thirds or stats or anything like that. And then I'm kind of just there for anyone who needs it during the game. And then post-game stuff, as you guys mentioned, just a couple interviews. I've been trying to do two a game this year just to add some more content to our digital media. How important is it for you to have a relationship with each of the players and know what kind of style of questions to ask them? or just how to engage them and make sure that you guys are getting some good content for those interviews? Yeah, so I think it's huge, especially because many of these players are either my age or very close in age to me. We get along really well. Um, my first year definitely was different because I don't, they have had team reporters in the past, but I know a couple have been older or, you know, not quite in the same age range. And I've seen some people come through for other teams, whether it be Nashua or now New Britain, they have a big digital media team, but just, I think it's huge to talk to them outside of the interview so that they can be comfortable with you. I noticed that a lot of the quiet players tend to be quiet on the interviews, but some have surprised me in the past. But I think it's huge to just listen to what they have to say, not even about baseball, just get to know them, become friends with them. I know at some places I've heard internship-wise for team reporters that they're not allowed to become friends with the team. I have a little bit of opinion on that. Um, I just think that it's really important to become friends with them because then you can get their backstory because 
as a sideline reporter, post-game interviews, that type of stuff, I think it's really important to get the story of each of the boys, which I've learned that some of these kids have crazy backstories, especially when it comes to transferring schools or injuries. And obviously, Matt, with what we've done for the past three games so that we've had the chance to be on Nessa. And I think it's really big when it comes to talking about more than just the game. Um, obviously, everyone knows, oh, it's 3-2, there's two outs, there's two runners on. But you know, I think it's more important about, oh, this player overcame this injury and now they're back on the diamond. I think that's really important for everyone and especially relationships within the league. So obviously this year is a lot different than years past due to COVID-19. So how has your job specifically been different because of the pandemic? Yeah, so I actually didn't know that I was going to be a part of the Navigators team again this year. But after my internship last year, I came back, Bill Terlecki, who was our general manager who passed away from cancer. He just reached out to me last year, um, asked if I would come back a lot easier for him if he didn't have to teach everyone the ropes again. So I was more than happy to come back. And I just did two internships instead of one last summer. And then for this year with COVID, I just graduated from Quinnipiac in May. So I originally planned to go on and further my career within broadcasting, but not many job openings, no matter what market you're in, whether it's sports broadcasting, whether it's business or anything. I think really the only market that's open is nurses. So I kind of made the transition in my head saying, you know what, I'm going to take any opportunity I can get. I'm going to go anywhere. I'm going to do anything. So the new owner reached out to me and he asked, um, hey, Emma, would you be interested in being the team reporter? We can be director of digital media. We can do a lot more. And I was like, of course, you know what, why not? What am I going to do? shortened season. It was only about six, seven weeks long. So I was like, you know what? I can do that. This summer, I don't really have plans anyways. So I said, of course, take, have taken on the role. I actually kind of have my own intern now, which is super weird. Um, she's Sydney, as I mentioned earlier. She's so great. She goes to St. John's. Um, she helps me with any broadcast stuff. She wants to do more of behind the scenes stuff, whether it's writing or like podcast stuff or graphics she's huge into that so it's nice to have someone on the broadcasting side who necessarily doesn't want to be on camera but also wants to do stuff behind the scenes so we've been a great pair together when it comes to my interview stuff it's been a little different I usually have a handheld mic and I tend to either hold it here and pass it on to the players but with everything going on with social distancing and everything. I have ordered a couple things, whether it's a lavalier clip that the players wear, um, so I don't have to stand close to them. I can maintain being socially distant and I can ask my questions on my mic. I can look to them and they can just hear the sound right through their mic. So it's, I think it's actually a lot easier than what it's been in the past. I usually have interviews with three kids um, rather than just me and someone else, but you know, you have to make the changes. And I think it's been honestly amazing that we've been able to make it through almost this entire season. We're last week here of summer ball, and then we got some playoffs, which has literally flown by so fast. But it's been pretty good. And I'm, you know, I'm so proud of the Futures League for being able to do everything like this. You know, I've seen some struggles in the MLB, but it just goes to show that waiting was really the key when it came to all of this. And it's huge that we were able to successfully make it through this far and all the players have followed great rules whether it's wearing masks or you know teams making the financial um like switches to just letting the boys play and that's all I wanted to do you know even if they're not making money off fans and concessions I think it's been huge for the league to be able to do this and in addition to what Sydney is able to help you out with talk about some of the skills you've developed behind the scenes too you're one of the team's main photographers also just talking, you mentioned that you're really interested in video editing 
and doing some stuff that can help you. You know, we're familiar with it with the podcast as much as we enjoy being on air. You also have to do the logistics behind the scenes and make sure that everything gets uploaded and looks nice. So how has that helped you in your own capacity with potential job opportunities? And has there been anything that you've picked up that you've really taken a liking to that maybe you didn't think you'd get involved with? Yeah, so I do a lot of stuff behind the scenes, um, especially with Blueframe this year. I think it was huge to learn that. Um, I know a couple other teams have used it in the past, not within the Futures League, but other leagues and even some colleges and universities. So I think getting that under my belt was really big. And I think that's more of a thing that with more practice, you get a lot better at it. That has been huge. And then I have, as you mentioned, I've been the photographer I wasn't really into sports photography, honestly, but they didn't have anyone. So I started out my first year doing headshots, very simple stuff. And now I have my two cameras and I'll use one camera that has the video capability, whether it's making a hype video for the boys or something along those lines. And then I also have my Zoom camera that I use for in-game for sports photography stuff. So having Sydney there has been great because one of us can either be taking photos and I can be doing the broadcast or vice versa. So I think it's really important to learn everything. Um, and I've learned that at Quinnipiac through my four years. In the beginning, I was like, I just want to be on camera, but that's not realistic, honestly. I've learned everything, whether it's like floor directing, audio, teleprompting. There's a bunch of things behind the scenes that you need to learn to be a well-rounded person, especially within this market. So I think for what I've done with the navigators has been huge, whether it's taking photos, taking videos, learning the technology, um, learning simple things with like the audio and making sure that Gus's mic is plugged into the right everything. It's just like the little things, you don't see how much there is behind the scenes until you're actually in there and realize everything that's going on. You talk about those set of skills. You've talked about it already. You were on Nesson these past couple of days with Matt. You served as the sideline reporter for our first ever TV contract. What was that experience like? It was honestly amazing. I was actually texting KJ and Jared last night, who are both in charge of PAC Network, who we did it through. And I know I just reached out to them, said, I'm so grateful for this opportunity. I never would have thought that my internship going into my junior year of college would have led to an opportunity for live on-air things with Nesson, whether it's just sideline reporting and having the opportunity to meet so many more people. I think it's huge to network within our industry, even if it's with someone who does stuff behind the scenes production or anything. I think that this opportunity was amazing, whether it comes about that I get a job or some offer because of it. I actually had a chance to talk to one of the production guys for the second game that was with Brockton and Worcester. I was sitting in the parking lot in my car. He knocked on my window and he was like, Hey, Emma, um, I just wanted to say you did such a great job today. Um, we actually, I'm a the production guy for UNH, which is University of New Hampshire. And he was like, I would love to give you the opportunity to do some stuff with us. Um, obviously we don't have fall sports right now due to COVID, but we have some winter sports and we have a big hockey team, as you know, they're on ESPN Nesson sometimes. So I'd love to give you the opportunity to be a sideline reporter for us for that. So you just never know what comes of these things. Um, as my mom says, always pretend like you're watch that you're on a camera, no matter where you are, just Always have your doors open, never shot anything. Um, I think texting Joe Pellucci, the commissioner of the league, and asking him if I could do anything with the Nesson broadcast led to amazing opportunity with Matt. Um, so I think that, you know, it's been an amazing experience, whether it's just working for the Navs or working playoff games or working on Nesson. I just treat everything the same. Um, so I go down there for a post-game interview, even if it's one of my 50 interviews that I have to do or whether it's one of my sideline hits for Nesson 
I just get the same. I mean, I do get a little bit more jitters for Nesson, as Matt can tell you. We were a little nervous for our first one, but you know, that's expected. Um, and I think nervous jitters is good. It was overall an amazing experience. And I think great for the league to get that exposure. I know first TV time that a lot of people have seen for the league. And I think it was huge for the players as well, especially with being able to play after not having their spring season. So it was a great experience. That's a fantastic opportunity with UNH. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. Before we get back to our interview with Emma Carmen. Once again, we wanted to give a big shout out and thanks to ChangeUp, one of the FCBL's cornerstone sponsors this season. As you may have learned during our recent Nesson broadcast, how cool was that by the way? ChangeUp is a cutting edge player-centric pitch and performance management application. By comprehensively and accurately tracking pitch activity and capturing critical in-game performance data, ChangeUp helps baseball coaches protect their pitchers from overuse and helps players reach their full potential safely. We're a little over halfway through the 2020 season, and FCBL teams are already reaping the benefits of the ChangeUp application, including the ability to keep college coaches informed on what and how their pitchers are doing here in the FCBL. Coaches and parents at all levels, Little League, AAU, high school, and the collegiate level, take notice. ChangeUp is the clear choice to ensure your pitchers aren't being thrown too much or too often and are getting proper rest. In addition, ChangeUp's analytics function helps coaches and players understand each pitcher's current performance thresholds and helps inform training protocols to get your players to the next level. The Futures League is bringing you tomorrow's baseball superstars today. ChangeUp is helping make sure those superstars travel safely and as far as possible on their personal baseball journeys. Are you ready to join the ChangeUp revolution? For more information, visit ChangeUp's website, www.changeup.io. That's www.change-up.io. Change up. Every pitch counts. We now return to our interview with Emma Carmen. You are one of the prominent female figures in this league, another one being Katie Aaron, the assistant general manager for the Nashua Silver Knights. And you guys have a personal history as you went to the same high school. Talk to us about your relationship with Katie and what she has meant to the Knights and the league as a whole. Yeah, she's been great for the league. It's awesome. She started out as an intern last year, um, so I was in the league with her. And then there was also another girl who was their team reporter last year, Hannah Bruitt. So she goes to school in Boston. So all three of us kind of mingled together as being um, some of the prominent females that worked within the league. But Katie and I go way back. Um, we went to high school together, Exeter High School in New Hampshire. And her brother and I were actually in the same grade. Her brother decided to go to private school, so he did not attend high school with me. But you know, our school's not crazy big as to where you don't know the other people in the different grades. So she was a little bit older than me, but I always knew about her because of Jack, who currently plays on the Silver Knights. So I think that's awesome that she gets to be the assistant general manager this year. I think that's huge. And you know, that's really big for many female in the sports industry, especially baseball, because I don't think there's too many that necessarily work in the sport or really work in sports in general. So I think that's great for her. Her mom is an avid baseball fan. Um, she goes to every Nashua game. She takes tons of pictures. She has an amazing camera. Um, so she's always been around. They actually lived in the town that I used to live in as well. So our families got to know each other. Me and Katie got closer. And then having her in the league last year was awesome. And I think our relationship has just grown over the past year. And I think that Having her there as the assistant GM is huge, especially with Cam Cook, as you guys had earlier on the podcast. I think it's nice to see um, some of the younger generations taking these bigger roles on. You know, you didn't see many assistant GMs and general managers that were 
25, 26 years old, but nowadays in the Futures League, it just goes to show how much we've learned through these four years of college and can take on so much at such a young age. Yeah, it's certainly a transformation that's been awesome. And we love talking to some of those figures, especially a guy like Cam who played in the league in 2017. So him and Katie, they're doing a phenomenal job up in Nashua. Talk about other people that have gone to Exeter High School that are in the league circles. Guys like Cody Morissette, who plays for the Navs, and just getting a chance to cover and see guys like him who are doing so well that you've known for a long time. Yeah, so I actually know a good amount of guys in the league. It's a small world when you think of the world of baseball. Um, tons of different players, but, you know, Exeter had a very good uh, baseball team throughout many, all my years there, and Cody Morissette and Ben Malagiri, both of them are two years younger than I am. So I never really – I mean, I was a junior when they were freshmen. Obviously, there's JV varsity, but they were always very good at playing baseball. Um, they stood out in Exeter along with many other guys. Um, Kyle Ball, he goes down to Stetson. Um, he played in the Futures League for a little bit and then played in the NECBL and now plays down in the Florida League um, just because he goes to school down there. But, you know, knowing Cody and Ben, especially having them on the Navigators roster now is so great. It's just one less relationship that I necessarily have to form and get to know everything about them. But it's just another foot in the door because they also know everyone. So through them, I've met tons of people, whether it's Cody and his Boston College teammates or whether it's Ben and knowing Juan Martinez, who's on our team now from Lawrence, and he goes to New Mexico Junior College. He went with Ben. So you know, it's been awesome to make these relationships with each other and not even necessarily just with the Navigators. You know, through these past three years, I've noticed I have so many kids on different teams. Uh, I know there's a lot of Quinnipiac kids through the league this year, um, whether it's on Westfield Starfires or it's on our team. But, you know, getting to know them in high school was really big. A lot of the athletes know each other. I was a gymnast myself back in high school. So I had the chance to get to know them through that. Um, Cody's mom was actually the assistant athletic director at our high school. So, you know, family means a lot for a lot of the kids in Exeter. Um, you know, as they say, Blue Hawks bleed blue forever. Um, and I think that it's nice that a public school can mean so much to so many people, especially with the opportunities to go into so many half public, half private within New Hampshire, um, whether it be Pinkerton or Bishop Girton. So knowing those boys has been great um, and having the experience that I've been able to have with them has been cool. And I know Cody was back on Nashua's team two years ago and Sal was on my team, but I had the chance to interview them at the All-Star game together, just about going to BC and going to be freshmen. And now like looking at it, I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys have grown so much. Like you're going to be juniors. It's crazy. Time flies. So it's been pretty cool. Yeah, Sal and Cody, certainly the big, and Ben Malgeri too, certainly the biggest names around the league right now. And going off of the Futures League, you also interned with NBC Sports Boston and got to cover a Red Sox-Yankees game, which is me and Matt's dream, by the way. Uh, how cool was that for you? And did you have any other cool experiences during that internship? Yeah, they gave me some awesome opportunities to cover. I originally, so the application process was night, really long, but you know, it was so worth it in the end. I randomly applied. I don't even remember if it was through LinkedIn or through what I did it through their website, but it was a couple steps in the process. I first reached out to them, said I was interested, sent them all the resume, my website reel that I have, my everything that I could possibly think of. So sent that out to them. I'm like, you know what, why not? I'm going to apply to an internship at NBC Sports in Boston. Like what more could I want? 
So I got the call one day that I that they were interested. So the next step of the process was me talking to a camera for a minute straight. So I'd read a question for a minute and I'd have to answer in a minute. And it was just me talking to myself, not even on a Zoom or a phone call with anyone. So it was a little nerve wracking, honestly. And I was like, okay, well, you know what? I gave it my best and that's all I could do. So I, then, then I got a phone call from who was my boss there. Brian O'Neill, and he was amazing. You know, he reached out to me. There was me, another girl who goes to school at Boston University, and then a boy. And so they did three interns for the summer. They tend to have three for the summer and then um, two for the fall and two for the spring. So I got the phone call. I remember I was literally vividly, I was driving down the hill where I lived at school and I, it was Brian and I actually missed the first call because I was like, oh, this is spam. So I, you know, I, I clicked the end and then he left me a voicemail calling back and I was like, oh my gosh, either this is good news or bad news. So I, start, I started hysterically crying. I was like, I don't even know what I'm going to do if I get a job one day. Like I'm going to break down on the phone. But it was awesome. So I went in there. I'm doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Um, it's a really big organization. It was currently in, it was in Burlington, Mass. But now they're in Needham because they have mixed with their Telemundo Spanish channel for NBC. So it was a smaller station than I expected when I first walked in. You know, you first walk in, the jitters the first day. But it was great. I did a lot of stuff in the control room, whether it was transcribing interviews or it was just helping out with any of the shows. I worked my shifts three to midnight, um, two days a week. And then if we wanted to, we could work more. Um, but that was generally, I had a couple overlapping days with interns, but we'd each take two days or so. And then here and there, we've had amazing opportunities, like you said. So we all reached out to our boss and we were like, hey, is there any chance that we could go shadow even a photographer or just head down to a Red Sox game because that was really all that was going on this summer. It's a little bit tougher because there's not sports all the time. So I had the chance to go to the Red Sox Yankees, like you mentioned, and I actually had the chance to do a couple stand-ups out front um, right by the Fenway Park sign. It was so surreal when I was there. I got great feedback from the other people who were there. John Tomasi, as many of you viewers will know, he gave me some great feedback. I just formed some of the best relationships that I ever could have with the entire team, whether it be photographers or other on-air people. But another opportunity I had was going to New England Patriots training camp. We were blessed that that started in the beginning of August of last year. So I had the chance to go down there, you know, just watch everything, see how it works. I had the chance to hold the mic up for some press conferences and some interviews. And then the same thing with the Red Sox. They actually let me in the clubhouse for a game where my family was watching Nesson and saw me holding the mic when Mookie Betts was talking. So that was my little viral moment there. Um, but yeah, it was great just to form relationships with not even only everyone at NBC, but the other stations that were at the Red Sox or at um, Gillette Stadium for the Patriots. So I just was always very outgoing, always willing to take criticism and network the best I can so I could take as much as I could out of the opportunity. You know, it flies by, as we all know, internships go by in the blink of an eye, especially summer ones. But, you know, it's been a great opportunity and doing that in the Navigators was a really nice balance. It was a lot of baseball in my life, but honestly, I loved it. Um, every day was so great and it was a grind. So you just graduated from Quinnipiac in the spring. I know it brings up a sore issue as it does for myself, but what was that experience like having your senior year cut short and how did you find out when you did? Yeah, so it was a little bit of a tough area for us, especially at Quinnipiac. Um, you know, Ivy League's canceled first within sports and schools. 
I never knew it was going to impact this long. Honestly, everyone was like, I'm so sorry for you seniors. We feel so bad, but honestly, like I know it was a tough last two months that we missed, but then in reality right now for what we're going through, I really feel bad for the seniors who are going to be seniors just because they're going to have a whole semester of what we went through really in two months. But you know, everything happens for a reason. And I live by that motto all the time, whether it be things happening like seasons getting cut short or people not necessarily being able to have a season. But for me, I was a manager of the acrobatics and tumbling team at Quinnipiac, where we um, were actually in season during that time. Um, As I mentioned, I was a gymnast earlier. I had back surgery, so I was unable to compete, but still wanted to be involved with a sport of some sort. So I was in my last year of managing with the team. It was about, I think it was March 12th. Ivy League canceled sports, Big Ten canceled sports, Pac-12 canceled sports. So we're sitting there. It was us, and it was the middle of spring break. We just got back from the University of Oregon, which we knew they were in Pac-12. So we were like, there's no good news coming out of this. We're going to keep practicing. We had to meet that Saturday home. We were sitting up at the arena. Um, We were actually in the middle of a practice, and we saw our athletic director Greg Amodio walk right in and I knew right there um I looked at my coach and I was like there's no way that this is good news he walked down the stairs he took her in a room she came back hysterically crying because like it was just we almost felt it coming but we knew it wasn't real until the moment came um we all were a mess crying away we were the only people there on campus everyone was away on their spring break vacations it was us and the hockey team and the basketball team was away at their MAC tournament So we didn't really have many people there. So we looked at the hockey team. We said, honestly, you guys are ECAC. You haven't been canceled yet. Don't give up. But through ACRO, which is the NCATA, um, it was up to the school, clearly. Um, So he told us that originally our plan was that we were going to have a meet on that Saturday with no fans. But then everything slowly got shut down. You know, every day there was new information coming out. So It was very different. Um, I actually had the chance to stay at school for another week or so, which which I think was a blessing in disguise because we got to be together as a team, all 40 of us, for another week or so, you know, live every moment as we could. How long have you been involved with that sport and what was it like managing a D1 athletic program? Yeah, it was an amazing experience. I was a gymnast my entire life, as I mentioned earlier. I started gymnastics when I was the age of three years old. Um, I grew up in Connecticut, actually, and then moved to New Hampshire when I was six. So the gym that I was at from when I was six until I got back surgery when I was 16 um, was the same gym as always. You know, it was a family away from home. It was a great experience. You know, gymnastics teaches you a ton. Um, There's a lot of things coming out about it right now with new podcasts, uh, a lot of USA Gymnastics stuff going on. But I just learned so much. And I think that everything that I learned in gymnastics kind of has taught me the way to live my life, Um, whether it's discipline, how to talk to people, um, being friends with both older and younger girls, whether it be on my team or different teams, you know, networking with other gyms. But going into college, um, I felt pretty empty for my first semester, my freshman year. I showed up to Quinnipiac, not one other Exeter student was there. So I didn't know anyone. Um, I reached out to a bunch of people, whether it was clubs and organizations, I heard people get involved, get involved. So I did that. But for some reason, a part of my heart was still empty. Um, I didn't know what it was. But practicing 28 hours a week in high school and getting up at 6am for practices before high school and then going afterwards, you know, you have a jam packed 
next day. Um, you get up, you work out, you go to school, you go back to the gym, and then you have dinner, homework, and you're to bed again. And it's the same thing every single day. So going to school, I had so much free time on my hands as to where I was like, how can I do something here? Whether it's getting on a team, joining some part of a team. So I emailed the coach after my first semester at Quinnipiac and I said, hi, I've been a gymnast. I have all these videos. I did have scoliosis surgery. I have rods and screws in my back. I'm not sure if this is going to be the sport for me, but would you please give me the opportunity to be on part of your team? And she said, absolutely. Of course. Like we have walk-on tryouts, division one, they have those opportunities. So my next year, I finished up my first year at Quinnipiac. And then my next year I tried to be a walk-on. I literally tumbled maybe for two days. And then I literally couldn't walk. I called my mom and I was like, okay, it's very similar to gymnastics in that there is a floor, but the floor doesn't have springs. So it's the foam piece just on a basketball court. So after the first couple of days, I was like, okay, this is not for me, but I still want to be involved. My coach was great. She was one of the founding members of acrobatics and tumbling. She's one of the creators of the sport. So she still saw my passion for it. She still saw that I wanted to be involved somehow. So that's when I became the manager and I was the manager my sophomore, junior and senior year. Just like the navigators, every single year I took on a little bit more. Um, my sophomore year was very simple. I showed up to practices, filmed practices, what normal managers do of teams. Um, my junior year, I did a lot more. Um, I helped with travel, whether it be meals or Google Docs about what the girls have to wear on planes and buses. I'd helped with official visit stuff, recruit stuff, um, office work, whatever it was behind the scenes. So Marianne Powers is her name. She was the, she's the head coach there at Quinnipiac. Um, she's been around Quinnipiac for 23 years now. She was the sideline cheer coach, then made the transition to ACRO um, when it became a sport 10 years ago. She created it with three other women, as I mentioned earlier, and then she knew that I had such a passion for it as I'm still kind of involved. I had the chance to go to an NCATA summit, which is just like any other sport. They bring all the coaches from the nation to one area and they talk about the sport, um, how it's evolved. We talk about how we are now an NCAA emerging sport, which is huge news for us. We have 32 schools within the nation now with acrobatics and tumbling. So I had the chance to go with her to the summits for the past two summers. And then this one was obviously virtual with everything going on. But you know, she's taught me so much, whether it be how to write an email the correct way or how to do an equipment order. So I feel like from what I've learned with those three years has taught me so much on like the business side of things, which is nice to always have my doors open in the acro world as well, especially becoming an NCAA sport. I think that a lot more schools will be adding this and it will be becoming more popular. You know, I say acrobatics and tumbling and people are like, what the heck is that? And I'm like, okay, it's gymnastics and cheer combined on a mat on a basketball court. Like that's my biggest way to explain it. But you know, it's taught me so much and all my experiences at Quinnipiac were great. And I felt no different being the manager as if I was going to be a student athlete on the team. My senior year, I lived with six other girls on the team. Um, so, you know, it was a great family away from home, especially bringing me back into that like gymnastics aspect of everything. And your involvement with that team at Quinnipiac has also blossomed into you now hosting a program called Conversations with Coaches. Uh, you're interviewing a lot of coaches in that acrobatics and tumbling sphere. How did you get involved with that and how cool is it to expand your horizon and hear from other coaches that are involved in that sport? Yeah, so I reached out to the executive director of the NCATA, Janelle Cook, and I said, um, right after I graduated, I'm like, you know what, you never can have too much opportunity to do things. So I said, 
hey, I was just wondering if you would ever have um, a position of some type of a sideline reporter or team reporter for the entire league, like a league reporter, kind of like what you guys do for the Futures League. So I said, is there any chance I could do some stuff with video or you could maybe if we do have a season, which is hopeful um, for the spring for next year, if she could fly me to some meets and I could do like color or play-by-play or some type of commentator for those meets. So I reached out to her and she said, you know what, Um, I will absolutely let you know when the time comes. But I told her that I would love to be involved with any type of video stuff. We came up with the idea of me interviewing every one of the 32 head coaches on Instagram. We do Instagram live and then they get put on all the social media just to get the schools a little bit more exposure. Um, A lot of these schools you've probably never heard of, whether it be Alderson, Broadus or Lander or really anything, East Texas Baptist. So these schools, I think it's huge for them to get out on their social media and their platform. Um, Obviously, people have heard of Baylor in Oregon, and a lot of people have heard of Quinnipiac and Azusa Pacific in California. But you know, for all these recruits, I think it's great that they can go back and watch and see what each of the school's programs is about. So it's been an awesome opportunity. Um, I love it. I'm actually done now. I have my last interview. So got through all through 32 coaches, but it was a lot of fun. And it was great to connect with those coaches too, who I haven't necessarily met before. Awesome. And remind the viewers at home once again, where we can see that, whether it be on Instagram or Instagram TV, if they want to check that out. Yeah, on Instagram, it's the NCATA, and then the same thing for YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. It's called the National Collegiate Acrobatics and Tumbling Association. So you can see a bunch of them. They all are under Instagram TV, and then all the YouTube links are put up there as well. Awesome. Looking forward to tuning in myself for the ones that I haven't caught already. Another one of your involvements is the Association for Women in Sports Media, you're the first woman we've had on the podcast. Um, what does it mean to you to serve as an example to girls who want to enter into the sports media field? And who are some of your inspirations growing up? Yeah, I think it's super important um, to be a woman in sports media, especially during this time. There's a lot of things going on in the broadcasting world, as we mentioned earlier, whether it be people getting laid off just because there's not enough positions and the company's not making enough money. But being a woman in sports media has been huge for me. Um, I've had some great role models, whether it be smaller people from Quinnipiac. I always looked up to when I was a freshman, Sierra Goodwill. She works for CLNS Media now in Boston. But, you know, stepping in as a freshman and being a part of an industry that's very male dominant was a little nerve wracking. I always heard it from my mom. She's like, kick butt in there, like go in there like you run that place. You know, you have to always have a head ready for um, the sports industry, especially when you're a female. Um, I always looked up to Laura Rutledge. Um, She's huge. She works for SEC. She's done ESPN stuff. She was actually dating the old third baseman for the Red Sox, Josh Rutledge. Um, I met them one time at the end of a Red Sox game when all the players come out. And I told her, I was like, I have such a passion for what you do. I love every, all your work. You're so smart when it comes to on camera. Um, The way she presents herself is huge. I also love Carissa Thompson. She does a lot of stuff with the NFL just seeing those role models and seeing how they have come up the ladders. I mean, I saw Laura go to University of Florida when I was super little. I've always had a passion for sports broadcasting. So seeing how much she's come up in the ladder. And, you know, I think it's awesome to work in a male industry. Um, I think it's great. I know that a lot of people in the Futures League, as we mentioned earlier, are a lot of males. But, you know, it's kind of fun. Um, a lot less drama than you'd think. Um, like, you know, girls are just a lot sometimes to handle. So being with guys is great. I think that 
as I look to be a role model for many, I just hope that I can do the same thing for other girls that are younger than me. I know I've had a couple people through Q30, the school's television station, and the Association for Women in Sports Media that are younger. And I'm like, if you have any questions, like feel free to ask. We've learned so much about it in classes at school at Quinnipiac, but you know, you never know everything. So um, always ask questions. You're always going to be learning. You're always going to have some type of look given to you almost. Um, I know a lot of women are looked down upon as if they don't know what they're talking about, or they, you know, are just on camera because they want to be on camera or they're in the news or entertainment department. But I think it's huge for women to be within the sports industry and stand up for themselves that way. Yeah, we certainly respect all the women in sports and in our league and kick butt is certainly the word to describe it. You guys are doing an amazing job. Thank you. And let's talk about future down the road. Where do you see yourself in 10 or 15 years and what is your ultimate dream job? So it's a little bit changes all the time. I never know exactly what the path is going to be. You know, what Garen Austin does for the Boston Red Sox as a sideline reporter would be a dream of mine. You know, I actually got to talk to her with my internship last year at NBC. She had some great advice for me. You know, it is a grind, as I mentioned earlier. You're working crazy hours. You don't get to really have a social life. You're going to those Friday and Saturday night games at 7 p.m., but you know what? It's so worth it and rewarding in the end. Um, I'm really hoping to be a sideline reporter, whether it's a, for a specific team or a network. I also would never mind uh, being an anchor or a host of some type of show. Ultimately, I think it would be so cool to have some type of sports show of my own on some type of network, even if it's at a smaller station, not necessarily a world-renowned one such as ESPN and NBC and Nessun. But I think you always have to start somewhere. I was talking to someone on the Nashua Silver Knights yesterday, and he was like, we literally do not have any broadcast journalism, anything at my school. And I was like, you know what? Prove everyone in the industry that you can do things by yourself, whether it be starting a podcast or whether it be showing up with your phone, setting up on a tripod and doing your own stand-ups. You got to start somewhere. So I think that the biggest thing is to just always get your foot in the door, meet new people, and always have an outgoing um, you know, personality through it all. Hey, if you get your own show, you got your first two guests right here. <laughs> all right. I'm on it. <laughs> and finally, before we move on to our final segment, how about a message to Navigator fans as we get closer and closer to the playoffs? So let's just say the Navs are a little bit on a hot streak right now. Uh, we've won three games in a row. We started off the season really strong, 6-0. and I know a lot of things happen with certain players being able to play more often than others. I think um, there's been a couple injuries throughout here and there. And then now we're at the time that a lot of college ball players are going back to school. Um, you know, school starts in like two weeks for many of these kids. So I think with every roster, we're going to see players heading back to school. So I think the playoffs is going to be a little bit interesting, honestly. I know that like Dom Keegan is heading back to Vanderbilt for Nashua and I'm sure Worcester who is the top team right now in the league has some kids heading home. We've had a couple of kids um, head back to school already. So I think it will be exciting. You know, we never know what's going to happen, especially within this league. Um, some teams have won tons of games and sometimes the underdogs have come out. So all I have to say is go Navs and let's stay hot so we can roll into the playoffs. I love it. Great message to the team. And we have, only a couple days left, which is sad, but it's been awesome so far, and you never know what can happen. So, Emma, this has been awesome so far. We have one final segment for you. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's called Quick Hits. It's presented yep. by Zephyr, the official on-field hat of the Futures League. Zephyr, high-quality and innovative designs since 1993. 
Emma, we wanted to ask a couple more questions for our audience to help to get to know you a little bit better. Is that cool with you? Yes. Awesome. Favorite player you've gotten a chance to cover on the NAVs? Every year has been different. Um, first year, I would say Sal and Cody were pretty cool. Um, Cody was on the opposite team as us, but I had a chance to interview them. Second year, not player, but interview with Bill Trelecki, um, our old general manager who I mentioned earlier. He had the chance to interview me, which was uh, a lot of fun. You know, he asked me some hard questions, uh, got right into me. And then this last year, I would say Ryan Cervoni. That's great. All great figures. How about maybe a player on the team that, as you mentioned, was a little quieter that really surprised you in an interview or someone that you just always enjoy talking to? Um, honestly, Ryan. Um, he struck me as a little quieter um, on the field. You know, he's not such an outgoing person like Jonathan Luters has been for the Navigators this summer. But, you know, he, I was like, hey, Ryan, do you mind if I do a post-game interview? He was like, of course, of course. And, you know, all of them have been so great to accept doing post-game interviews. Um, I know some of them don't like camera, but they usually do it. And he was just so smart in everything that he was saying. I just simply asked him, like, take me through an at-bat. And he went so in-depth with it. It ended up being, like, one of my longest post-game interviews. And it was honestly amazing. Now, how about if you were a player, what would your walk-up music be? <laughs> okay. Honestly, I've been thinking about this one. Okay, I love the song Diva by Beyonce. You know, it has a little bit of a message that not I would necessarily want to follow, but it's the beat drop and the way that, like, you know, they come out of the dugout, and it's all about, like, the background music. So I would say that, or if I had to go with, like, an intense song, Warriors by Imagine Dragons. I made a hype video to it earlier and uh, the season for the boys, and I thought that it was just there'd be another one. You know, there's a lot on the list, but those two for sure. Both great answers. How about favorite big league team? And then as a follow-up, favorite player, whether it be current or historical? I would say Boston Red Sox for sure. Um, I've always been a New England fan. And I would have to say David Ortiz. Uh, growing up, I just loved him. I don't know why. Every game I would go to, I had the chance to go to his last game at Fenway Park um, with my mom, which was super emotional. Very, I never really knew how much he meant to me until I went to that game and started bawling my eyes out. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is not happening. Um, but, you know, I just think the way that he, his dedication to the team, everything, he was a great player for them, always struck me when I was younger. He's a New England legend for sure by any stretch of the imagination. Um, how about a favorite venue that you've either attended or gotten a chance to cover a game at? Hmm. Um, probably Fenway, I would say even, uh, favorite park wise. Yeah. Um, it was pretty cool being there. I've had the chance to go there for Red Sox games. And then I actually went to a couple of Cody's games there for area code stuff. Um, and then I had the chance to go to the bean pot. So I've seen it in a couple different environments, which is pretty amazing. I mean, all the fans in there and everything and how historic it is, uh, just means so much to, everyone in the major leagues. Um, and I think even going in for whether it be a Beanpot game or some type of area code team, it just means so much for many of the players to be able to play there. There's certainly nothing like Fenway Park, that's for sure. As a follow-up to that, how about a bucket list sporting event or venue that you want to cover? Yeah, so honestly, um, I think I was telling Matt during one of our 27 innings that we sat together with Vernesson that my biggest bucket list thing is to go to every MLB stadium and see a game there. Um, I've been to, I think, around 11 or 12 now. So I've done pretty well for myself, but 
seeing a game there is huge. Um, and I think that my dream as a reporter would be to cover either the World Series or the Little League World Series. I'm a huge fan of Little League. I think it's great. And I think especially when it comes to the aspect of talking about what the players mean and how much they love baseball, those kids like die to be on camera. They love it. Um, they all live for the moment. So I think that being a part of that, whether it's as a reporter or just talking about it on air, I think either Little League World Series or a regular World Series. I had the chance to go with my brother to the one of the Red Sox World Series games for my 21st birthday gift. So being there as a fan was amazing, so I couldn't even imagine covering it as a reporter one day. And you mentioned all the ballparks in the MLB. Is there one specifically that you have your eye on? Um, honestly, not really. Uh, I've had my struggles is more of like the Midwest states area. Um, I've been on the West Coast. I, my family's from California. So I've done all those and I've done most of the ones in the East Coast. So I just have to make sure I focus on getting out to the Midwest area um, just to cover all those parks. And do you have a nickname around the NAVS press box that you've been donned upon? Um, honestly... I say my biggest nickname, I mean, everyone kind of calls me Emma. I told my mom I'm not a huge fan of the name because I, it's just so basic and everyone has it and everyone turns around when they say Emma, I feel like. Um, but, you know, I do have the name sometimes EC Hammer. Um, you know, my last name's Carmen, EC, you know, MC Hammer, EC Hammer. Just, you know, add a little spunk to the press box life. And we touched on your press box superstitions a little bit. Outside of that, are you superstitious at all? Um, yeah, I actually am I'm pretty superstitious. I don't really notice it because I think I do it every day. But you know, I listen to a very similar playlist, um, as I've shared with you guys before, um, on SoundCloud before going to every single game, whether it's listening to the entire thing or certain songs, I just always play that same one, especially if we're winning, I make sure that I'm listening to it. And then there's little things here and there. I was really superstitious back when I was a gymnast. Um, I would do like, make sure that my leotard matched my hair scrunchie and that if I was going to compete, that everything would always match. I think baseball players are super superstitious. So comparing me to them, probably not that, but you know, it's, I feel like everyone is a little bit here and there. <laughs> are you more of a bubblegum person or a sunflower seed person? Bubblegum for sure. And I actually don't even really like bubblegum. I like mint gum for some reason. Yeah, I got you. I, I feel you there. Mint gum is the Get you through <laughs> the, the way day. to go. And then how about a media piece or a piece of content that you've done that you're most proud of? Um, going off of what I said earlier, um, that interview with Bill Terlecki literally meant the world to me. Um, he wanted to interview me, you know, every day I'd get to the park, um, as I was mentioning earlier, a couple hours early, uh, my second season and even my first season, we'd make sure we'd water the flowers together. He was huge about having plants there. With flowers, he loved them. Um, he thought the fans would enjoy it so much. So I would go there, I'd hang out with him, I'd water the plants with him, help him a little bit more his second year as he was struggling. But, you know, when he asked me to do that interview, I knew how much it meant to them. He wanted to show the viewers who I was behind the scenes, not necessarily me asking the question, him asking me. I even go through it all the time now. You know, I watch it, I listen to his voice. I know he's always watching over us, especially when it comes to the Navigators. He was such an avid baseball fan, and I knew he loves the organization more than anything. His son is still in touch with all of us, um, so we're hoping to have him down at the ballpark maybe sometime this week if we can get him down. His wife just had a kid, which is so amazing for Bill watching from above. Um, but, you know, 
I think it means more than anything for him to have that interview and have that chance to talk to me um, and get some more exposure out there about it all. Yeah, Bill meant so much to the Navigators, and that's such a great story. And lastly, how about a favorite all-time baseball memory? Ooh, I would have to say what I mentioned earlier, um, going to the World Series. Uh, it was Dodgers and Red Sox. Um, my mom's favorite team is actually the Dodgers, as I mentioned, that she was from California. I and, mean, you know, we tried to, me, my mom, my dad, and my brother, who was super big baseball player back in the day in college and stuff, he looked at me and said, you know, what are the odds you think we could go to this game? And I was like, oh, those tickets are so expensive. Like mom and dad are definitely not going to let us go. They're like, let's make it your birthday gift. And I was like, okay. So I like came up with a whole PowerPoint presentation about how much it meant to me to go to the World Series game. And I even budged them and I'm like, you guys can go, but we couldn't find four tickets together. So my mom and dad surprised me um, and with, they surprised us with tickets the morning of. Um, it was literally another crying moment for me. I was volumized out. Me and my brother got to go. We had an amazing view and just the experience there. Like I had chills the entire time. No one sat down the entire game. Like usually people stand up when there's two outs with two strikes. Oh no, we stood all nine innings. <laughs> so, you know, it was just surreal to be there. You know, I'm so grateful that I was, had the opportunity to do that. Well, Emma, that's going to conclude it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. Best of luck with everything. We're really excited to see your work the rest of the season with the NABs and for what's ahead for you in your professional career. Thank you guys so much for having me on. This was so fun and a great opportunity. Anytime. So this has been episode 24 of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League. We have new episodes coming out every Monday and Thursday. Make sure to subscribe. We're on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see everyone soon.